0: Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 132. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. So, double-header special this week featuring Bruce Holland Rogers. I know everybody's ready to hear his two kick-ass stories, but first, we must bring you part two of our ongoing series. In Search of the Mongolian Death World with Connor Chodesworth, The Mongolian Death Worm. The deadliest worm in all of Mongolia. Legends of this enormous subterranean worm have lingered in this desert longer than a poot trapped under the bed sheets. The worm is said to, on occasion, leap from the sand like a giant, long, cylindrical, segmented fish might do if sand were water and if worms were fish. I've been searching the hot, dry Gobi Desert for days now with no worm sightings. I'm getting desperate. Ancient Mongolian scrolls have mentioned that the deathworms are attracted to loud, awful noises. I've decided to try a new tactic. Instead of finding the deathworms, I'll have the deathworms find me. Our team makes some phone calls, and finds that Bono's in the nearby village of Huan Sun, doing some sort of humanitarian bush. <laughs> We've arranged to have you 2 perform directly in the center of the worm zone, effectively acting not only as worm callers, but as worm bait. Bono claims that he's not afraid of worms, that he's never been. His band confirms. I say that back home he's called Jaich Normis Dush Bagar. It's Gaelic for worm whisperer I'm very excited they begin to play Mongolian death worm in the ground I heard that you liked God awful sounds So they pay us to play for you I heard you spit acid from your head And lightning bolts from the other end Are you fake or are you true? It's so awful. I can't take it anymore. I pass out. My face is covered in sun-dried vomit and hot sand. The rest of the research team seems to have abandoned me, driven mad and into the wilderness by the heinous music of hell itself. I pull myself to my knees and peer into the worm zone. I see nothing but charred sand, a pair of Bono's silly sunglasses, and a hole in the ground. The hole looks like something a giant cylindrical segmented fish might dig. If fish dug holes, and if sand were water, and if worms were fish, bitterly I weep. Story Time Every so often we feature two stories by one great writer, and we call the special A Double Header. This week, two great stories by Bruce Holland Rogers, A Baker's Dozen, and The Wrong Cart. Bruce is no stranger to the Drabblecast. You might recall past stories of his, Little Brother TM, and Dinosaur, which we ran in our last trifecta. He sold work to all the notable sci-fi markets and is a Nebula and World Fantasy Award winner. He's also a motivational speaker and trains workers and managers in creativity and practical problem-solving. He's taught creative writing at the University of Colorado and the University of Illinois and makes frequent appearances at writers' conferences. You can subscribe to A Year's Worth of Short Stories by Bruce for just five bucks a year. If you like Bruce's stuff, you'd be a fool not to sign up. You can find a link in our show notes. So, without further ado, A Baker's Dozen. By Bruce Holland Rogers. It was the slowest day of a slow week. The bakery was empty at mid morning when a man came in carrying a briefcase. He had shadows under his eyes, and in a tired voice he asked, How much for the chocolate croissants? Mr. Gwinnett behind the counter had been staring at the wall. Still staring, he said, $1.25 each. The man frowned and said, and for the buns? Buns? Mr. Gwinnett had to look and see where the man was pointing. Those were rolls, not buns. Mr. Gwinnett named the price. They both could have been talking in their sleep. And the baguettes? There were baguettes, but the man was pointing at the Italian loaves. Instead of giving their price, Mr. Gwinnett said, "'You know what? You look tired. I'm tired, too. I'm tired of how much is this and how much for that. No one remembers what anything is or what it costs. How about you be the baker and I be the customer?' The customer looked as if he hadn't understood the question. "'Hey, man, we could both of us use a change.' Look, just for a minute, you come and stand behind the counter. I don't know, said the customer. He looked at the door as if he were remembering that he'd left something important outside. You think if you stand two minutes behind this counter, the world will end? I have a meeting. How long does it take to buy bread? said Gwyneth. He was already taking off his apron. Oh, you'll like being a baker. It's new to you. Everything is wonderful when it's new. Remember First Love? First love?' The man didn't exactly smile, but perhaps he unfrowned. That was a while ago. Mr. Gwinnett came out from behind the counter. "'Here, put down your briefcase.' He tied the apron for the man who'd been the customer. "'Now you go behind the counter. Wait, first give me your wallet.' When the other man hesitated, Mr. Gwinnett said, "'How do you expect me to buy anything if I don't have any money in my pocket? You'll go out of business.' The man took out his wallet, but still didn't hand it over. Mr. Gwinnett said, "'You'll have the cash register. We'll be even.' "'Couldn't I just give you some money?' "'All right. If you want to be that way, just give me twenty bucks.' A moment later, holding twenty dollars in his hand, Mr. Gwinnett said, "'Now then.' He pointed at the cheese danish. "'How much for these patsy cakes?' From behind the counter, the man in the apron said, Uh, they're a dollar (laughs) each. And those oven dumplings? The man looked to see where Mr. Gwinnett was pointing. Uh, the ones with the raisins? Have you ever heard of oven dumplings without raisins? Uh, a dollar and a half. Ten dollars a dozen. They're fresh? Of course. How many do you want? Uh, I'm still making up my mind. Mr. Gwinnett pointed to the almond horns. How much for these Zeppelin bars? Five dollars. So much? Five dollars, the man maintained. Thievery, unless there's something special about them. I baked them myself, said the man behind the counter. That's it? Well, the man said, thinking, they have curative powers. You're kidding. What do they cure? What do you have? I'm bored. Every day, the same work. My wife and I never look at each other anymore. I have the same thing. Had. uh, One of these... What are they called again? Imagine. A baker who can't remember what a zeppelin bar is called. Well, I had one zeppelin bar a day, and I started noticing how good life was. Right here in this bakery. I counted my blessings. "'Ah,' Mr. Gwinnett nodded. "'Things change when you count your blessings. "'My wife says I'm like a teenager. "'Really? She says that?' "'Well, actually,' the man behind the counter smiled. "'She says I'm a tiger. "'It's what she used to say a long time ago. "'Tiger, huh? "'That's not the same as teenager, but it's pretty good. "'Okay, two of those. "'Will you give me a dozen extravaganzas for ten bucks?' Mr. Gwinnett pointed at the chocolate croissants. You want the regular or the ones that grant three wishes? Hey, I don't want to go overboard, said Mr. Gwinnett. Make it the regular. The man behind the counter bagged two Zeppelin bars and thirteen extravaganzas, then handed them over the counter. He took the twenty dollars, searched for the right buttons on the cash register, and finally just folded the money and stuck it into the crack of the unopened cash drawer. He came out from behind the counter, surrendered the apron, and picked up his purchase and his briefcase. Thank you, he said. He was smiling. He headed for the door. Thank you, said Mr. Gwinnett as he tied the apron. And be careful. The customer paused in the doorway. Careful? I'm pretty sure those are only regular extravaganzas, Mr. Gwinnett said. But you never know. The Wrong Cart by Bruce Holland Rogers The trailer parks and the gated communities of any town are like circles that touch at one point, and that one point is the grocery store. Everybody's gotta eat. In the rice and bean aisle, me and this woman got our carts mixed up. She added her wild rice blend to my cart with its ground beef, cheese spread, chips, beer, and hungry man dinners. I found myself pushing her cart with the Kalamata olives, sun-dried tomatoes, steaks, brie, and the pork and beans I'd just taken off the shelf. People don't like to admit mistakes. You know how it is. Sometimes it's just easier to act like you didn't make a mistake at all, like you're doing exactly what you meant to do all along. Her husband walked alongside the cart that had been hers, but now was mine, while she walked off towards the frozen food aisle with my wife, who was holding our sleeping baby. Her husband thought some wine would go well with the steaks. He picked a bottle that cost three times what you could pay for a whole jug of something else, but I didn't say anything. I could have said something while we stood in line, two registers over from where my wife and this man's wife were checking out, I could have said something when we were getting into the Mercedes, and our wives were getting into my rig, but the deeper you go into a mistake, the harder it is to admit it later on. Also, I was thinking about those stakes. Before that night, I had never been inside one of those gated communities, except to pour concrete slabs for the driveways during construction. He parked the Mercedes in the garage next to another one that was just like it, only yellow. I made a salad, salted the raw steaks, and heated up the range top grill. In the backyard, blue light shimmered up from the swimming pool. There was a floating chair where you could sit all day if you didn't have to work. Mail on the kitchen table was addressed to Michael and Nancy Taylor. I served the steaks with butter... They were tender and juicy. After we finished the wine, Michael turned down the lights, massaged my shoulders, and suggested that we go to bed early. No matter how reluctant you've been to admit a mistake, there's bound to be a moment when you know that going any further will be too far. I was about to explain about the grocery cart mix-up when I noticed the blue reflected light from the swimming pool Dancing on the dining room ceiling. I remembered that floating chair. Michael was rubbing my neck. I thought, how bad could it be? Late the next morning, while I was sitting in the floating chair, I took a call on the cell phone. (sighs) Yeah? I said. And this woman's voice said, Tony, is this Tony? I didn't quite know what to say because, yeah, Tony is my name. Tony, the voice said. This is Nancy. I need your help. Yeah, I said. Okay. I figured we were going to have to face the music, both of us, and admit our mistake. But she said... I'm on break. We're pouring driveways and Greg wants to know what's gotten into me. I can't finish for shit. What's the secret to a good finish job? So I told her. Putting down a good finish to a driveway surface is one of the things I know how to do. There were some things I did not know how to do. I did not know how to mix a martini the way that Michael liked them. I did not know the right place to send his shirts. I did not know how to clean the pool. Nancy and I traded phone calls. We talked about the things we needed to know, and about other things, too. She was frustrated that there wasn't really any room to move up at work. I was frustrated with sex, which was all about Michael's pleasure and not mine. She wondered how the hydrangeas were coming along. I wondered about the baby. We felt close. We had a lot in common. Finally, we met at a motel. She parked the rig on one side of the parking lot. I parked the yellow Mercedes on the other side. She registered us as Mr. and Mrs. John Smith and paid cash for the room. Afterwards, as I drove the Mercedes home, I wondered if we weren't making a mistake. But it was too late, I told myself. Sometimes, once you start down a certain path... There just isn't any turning back. Maybe old friends think I'm just a stranger mm-hmm. My face you'll never see no more Brother, try walking a mile in my shoes. There's steak and chocolate croissants in it for you. Anybody remember about a month ago when we ran a story by Eugene Foster called The End of the Universe? Jeez, has it been a month already? Who's been screwing around with the space-time continuum? Not funny, Steve Jobs. People really wooted at this story. Talia, our llama wrangler extraordinaire, said, I really enjoyed the creepy aspect of this. There are parts where I was genuinely chilled, just felt all shivery inside, and to me, that's a solid indication of good fiction. Yuji Foster is another of my favorite short fiction authors, and she continues to please with this tale. Poor Gligstith Clickoptok said, I started listening to this story in bed after my wife went to sleep. Usually a strange story is just the thing to disengage my mind before putting up the iPhone and drifting into dreamland. Unfortunately, it had been a long day, and I fell asleep early in this one. Furthermore, this was the only Drabblecast episode on my phone, and it was set to repeat. As I drove to work the next morning, I listened to the entire episode and realized if there is anything to subliminal sleep learning, I'm screwed. Somehow, reality feels different today. Nice. Drabocast's first deep psychological mangling. Sorry, Glick. Final Rune said, Spectacular production value here. Makes me think that Norm should get into professional audiobook recording. (laughs) Oh, rock on, Final Rune. You just bought yourself some promo time. Then he went on to say, That said, and being a tremendous fan of audio drama, I was expecting to enjoy the story more than I did. Oh, The concept was kind of fun, but I didn't find myself caring about the characters of the play of the universe. Probably just a deep-seated subconscious nihilism. Uh, I'll play your freaking promo anyways. What you're about to hear is actually a clip from Final Rune, more than a standard form promo. Enjoy. The wild it is. Well, that's, uh, no drug dealers yet. In fact, in fact it's kind of nice, actually. Uh, mangoes. Hey. Hey. What? What? Hey. Shh, shh. Who, who are you? Look, that's not important. I think it is. Look, you need to get out of here. You... What? Just go. I- I'm working on it. It's, it's not like it's all that easy to do. It is. It's so simple. But my mast's cracked. My mainsail's torn up. Now that's bull, man. These people have got that in your head. What? Oh, sure, gaskets blow, bilges bust, sails get torn, but, but you can't let that stop you. But it's dangerous. Look, this place is a whole lot worse. It's kind of... it's kind of pleasant, though. Listen, this is your only chance. Every night after tonight, every day after tomorrow, it'll get harder and harder. Trust me. Trust me. But my sales! Go. In my... Just go! Okay, okay, go! There you go. It's really good stuff. Dig them out from our show notes, finalroom.com. Hey, guess what? Our kick-ass donor of the week is... <coughs> Del DeHart. Dell is an infectious disease physician working in Saginaw, Michigan, and teaching through MSU. He's medical director of a medical informatics company developing diagnostic decision support software for use on cell phones in remote and rural developing settings. Dr. DeHart has numerous national and international publications and presentations. He's a noted teacher and speaker, and brings a heart for saving lives and serving the poor to each of his projects, including the Inner City HIV Clinic that he founded in Saginaw, which was instrumental in initiating a mobile clinic for indigent and migrant health care in the region. As an HIV specialist, he's served in Kenya and Vietnam. Dr. DeHart has a wonderful wife and four great kids who put up with his guitar playing and recording projects. Almost all of this I found from my own research. What Dell sent us is, The Drabblecast is the most creative and well-produced podcast anywhere, and my only question is, where do you find the time to do it? You really set the bar high. <laughs> Wait a second, What? I set the bar high? Where do I find the time? Eh, well, by not being an international mega-doctor slash superhero. If I accidentally switched grocery carts with this guy, I'd be screwed. You're the Mandel. We appreciate the support and everything else you do. And in honor of infectious disease research, and in honor of his really good twit fic, This week's 100-character story winner is PhenoPath. And you know, I figured I'd start posting these weekly winners on Twitter a few days earlier, so our friendly followers there can get the goodies first, and then I can read them on the show to everyone else who either hates Twitter or has no idea what it is. For the sake of our weekly contest, a twitfic is a story that is exactly 100 characters, not including spaces or optional title. It's not easy, but it is fun. Try some yourself, and send them into Drabblecast at yahoo.com, or join our discussion forums and post them in there in the TwitFix section. Here's an example of a pretty flippin' awesome 100-character story. Procedures at the bioreactor are getting sloppy. Yesterday, Tony sneezed in the clean room. Now Vat12 is self-aware. Well done, phenopath. Well done. So that's all the time we have this week. We'll catch you next Wednesday. Be sure to spread the word about the Drabblecast, and the Drabblecast if you want, because it's free to copy and share across the internet because it's licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. You can be extra cool and write us a review on iTunes, or elsewhere, or extra, extra cool and drop us a donation via the links on our website, Drabblecast.org. Whatever you can give really makes a difference in the stories we can pick and the quality of the show overall. We really appreciate it. Our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman. Reminding you about that floating chair outside. Piano player picks up his tip jar and drink, and the bartender shouts, "Last round!" An hour ago, this place was loaded. A noise filled the room like the smoke. Laughter and curses spilled like booze from a glass. Words were all slurred when spoke. Yes, words were all slurred when spoke. The dark... Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut.